Hello, this is episode 208 and in it we're going to be discussing the topic of roof colour and more specifically dark roof colours versus light roof colours and whether your selection really matters to the energy efficiency and thermal comfort of your home. Now this is a topic that I often see hotly debated amongst homeowners and look to be frank with around 70% of tile sales through the southern states of Australia actually being in dark colours. It's not surprising that when you look across recent areas of subdivision in most areas you'll see many people are choosing dark roof colours. It doesn't seem to matter what the climate is or how hot or cold it gets. Dark roof colours are the favourite. I recently travelled to far north Queensland and I still saw a lot of dark roofs being used there as well. Now roof colour is something that I'm asked about a lot. You know, does it really matter and how much does it really matter? Look, for many of us who know what it's like to get into a dark car after it's been parked in the street in the sun or to wear a black t-shirt out in the sun during summer, we have a basic understanding that dark colours will absorb more heat. And so I'm often asked, you know, if I actually live in an area where my focus is to keep my house warm in winter, then aren't I better off actually choosing a dark roof? So this is why I'm really looking forward to you meeting my guest for this episode, He is architect Sid Two, and that's T-H-O-O. He's also a certified energy assessor as well. And in all of his work, he aims to help homeowners create eco-efficient, comfortable homes. Together, Sid and I are going to be discussing a lot of the common questions and assumptions that I hear homeowners share when they're selecting their roof colour. And I'm also going to be telling you about a fantastic way that you can learn more about how to create an energy efficient home. So make sure you stay tuned for that as well. Sid and I, we've collaborated on something really great that I know is going to be amazing for anyone who wants to improve the star rating of their future home and also understand more about the energy assessment process itself. We are going under the hood of NatHERS and your home's energy star rating. And so I'll be sharing more on how you can get your hands on that information at the end of this episode. Remember as well that you can get information on the resources and the links for this episode by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash SID, that's S-I-D. There's actually a fair bit of science in this episode. It's a meaty conversation. So I've actually generated a transcript for this episode as well so that I because I just thought it would be helpful for you to have it to review and revisit. So you can grab a free copy of that by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash SID, S-I-D, to access that free transcript as well. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Get It Right podcast. I'm your host, Amelia Lee from Undercover Architect. With over 25 years industry experience, I've worked with loads of homeowners like you to create family homes that work, feel great, and that you feel great in. I'm a wife and a mum to three kids who, thanks to our own renovations, they all learned to climb ladders before they walked. And I'm a registered architect who is passionate about you feeling informed, educated and empowered as you design, build or renovate your home. Now, if you're up for some frank and open conversation about the true nitty gritty of designing, building and renovating based on professional and personal experience across hundreds and hundreds of homes, well, you're in the right place. Undercover Architect is an award-winning online business and resource that began in mid-2014, and it's all about teaching you how to create a fantastic, feel-good family home, one that works for you now and into the future, one that is sustainable and affordable, and that helps you live a great lifestyle, both in and beyond your home. So whether you're renovating or building, whoever you're working with, and whatever your dreams, your location, or your budget, consider Undercover Architect your secret ally in helping and teaching you how to get it right. Now, before we jump into this podcast episode, a quick shout out to my sponsors. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by me and my free online workshop, Your Project Plan. I actually created this online workshop because I so regularly see a lot of time and money get wasted in renovation and building projects. And this happens largely because homeowners just don't know what they're supposed to be doing next. So that makes it really easy to make missteps, to take the wrong advice, or to actually skip important parts of your project that will catch you out down the track. Or worse, mean that you miss out on things that you really wanted in your home. Learn how to avoid serious and expensive mistakes what to do next, whatever stage you're at in your project, and also access some great bonuses too by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. And that's project plan spelled P-R-O-J-E-C-T 
P-L-A-N. That's undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. Take the guesswork out of the next steps you need to take in your project journey and sign up today for free for this great online workshop. And now let's get on with the episode. Here we go. Now, as I said up front, I receive a lot of questions about roof colour and particularly light roofs versus dark roofs. And I see it being an area of much debate Uh, particularly in online forums. You know, homeowners, they may be choosing a roof colour that is purely related to their personal aesthetic preferences and they're not understanding the impact that it's going to have on the comfort and the performance of their home. And if you're in the southern states of Australia or in a colder climate, and you're really attached to the idea of having a dark colour roof, the common response can often be, well, you know, my focus is going to, is actually on keeping my house warm during winter. And so a dark roof is going to help me do that. And I'm just then going to use air conditioning or insulation to deal with the summertime situation and the impact of the dark roof in summer. However, as you'll hear in this episode, there can be some challenges with that approach. I know personally in all of my architectural work in over 25 years of doing this, I've never specified a dark roof colour on any home that I've worked in or in, in, in any location. Now, dark fascias and dark gutters, yes, I have specified those, but dark roofs, no. And that's the thing. What I find is that you can often achieve the aesthetic result that you want to, the colour palette that you want to of your home through the selections that you make with your gutters and your fascias, but then you can let the roof colour be what it needs to be in order to suit your climate most effectively. I'm really looking forward to introducing my podcast guest to you and for you to hear some of the fantastic insights that he has to help you understand more on the topic of roof colour and the impact that it has on your home's energy efficiency and thermal comfort. So let me tell you more about Sid too. Sid is an architect and he's a consultant and an educator specialising in eco-effective design and construction. Based in Perth, Western Australia, Sid works with a diverse mix of private clients, local authorities and property developers to achieve a range of environmentally considered, socially engaging and economical design outcomes in all of the projects in which he is involved. Sid is a vocal advocate for a collaborative approach, actively engaging with all key stakeholders as part of the design process. Now, as well as being a registered architect, Sid is also a certified house energy rating assessor. He's also a non-executive director of eTool, which is a global leader in the life cycle assessment of the built environment. And previously, he's served as the chair of the Association of Building Sustainability Assessors, which is the ABSA, and was part of the sustainability advisory group for the City of Vincent. Sid was a co-winner of the City of Vincent Sustainable Design Award and was a co-finalist in the Landcorp Gen Y Housing Design Competition. His projects have also received awards from Master Builders Association and the Urban Design Institute of Australia. Sid has lectured at a number of Australian universities and colleges and was recently a clinical professional fellow in the School of Built Environment at Curtin University. Now, when I was first looking for more research on this topic of light roofs versus dark roofs that I could send homeowners to, I actually found a blog post that Sid had written on this very topic of roof colours and your home's energy efficiency. It's a brilliant read. I've shared it with the Undercover Architect community before. I'm going to include a link in the resources for this episode so that you can check it out yourself if you haven't already. Now, when I actually connected with Sid, he was not only keen to help the Undercover Architect community on this topic, he and I actually started talking about some other challenges and information that I know homeowners always struggle with when it comes to optimising their home's energy efficiency, particularly when they're renovating and building. And so Sid and I just started talking about, you know, all of these things and ultimately how we could demystify what's involved in you being able to get a great star rating for your home. So if you've been looking for more specific specific information on how to improve your home star rating and ways that you can understand your energy assessment process more effectively, things that you can know so that you can actually do things during the design phase to improve your home's energy performance and thermal comfort, and then how you can be really clear about what decisions are actually going to matter before you invest in them, you're going to love what Sid and I have actually created together for you. So make sure you stay tuned until the end of this episode, because I'll be sharing more information about that then. Without further ado, though, now, let's jump into my conversation with Sid about roof colour. And just so you know, there's a couple of spots. There's a, there was a weird buzzing. It's just a few times in sort of the early part of the episode. I have no idea where it was coming from. We tried to figure it out, but 
So it's not you. It's not you that's making that weird buzzing. It's me. Um, uh, and so, yeah, just um, know that, yeah, when that comes, that's what it is. Uh, remember as well, you can always grab a free transcript of this conversation by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash SID. That's S-I-D. And um, so you can always read back over the conversation as well. So let's go. Well, Sid, it is awesome to have you here. I'm super excited to be introducing you uh, formally to the UA community, to be getting your wisdom on this topic shared uh, because my experience with you up to this point in working on our Under the Hood of Nathurst workshop together has been that I've been blown away by not only your expertise and your experience in understanding energy efficiency and the tools that we have to be able to measure the energy efficiencies um, of our home and, you know, these tools are readily available and we're having to use them anyway. So what we can do to really optimize that to inform our design process, but also that you give this wisdom and knowledge from such a generous place, which always I love finding uh, colleagues that are like that because it's so beautiful for the undercover architect community to meet and get to know that there are professionals like this in the industry that they can then uh, seek out and get help from in their projects. So, um, yeah, so really, really excited to have you here talking on this topic of dark roofs versus light roofs and what we need to know about that. Can you just start by introducing yourself and letting us know a little bit about you and your business and how you got into the work that you're doing? Certainly. Uh, and look, thank you, Amelia. I really appreciate the opportunity and it's a real pleasure to be here. So uh, I've been an architect since about 2007. Um, I have, I'm now in a sole practice by myself. And I guess in terms of where I started with my architecture career, um, architecture school, we didn't really learn a lot about energy efficiency or trying to design more sustainable buildings. That wasn't part of the zeitgeist, so to speak. And I guess that's something that came along later in my career, early 2000s. I was working for an architect uh, whom I learned some some amazing kind of skills, knowledge from. But we were designing very expensive houses for very affluent people who live in the western suburbs of Perth. And to be honest, I didn't really find that work very fulfilling or very satisfying. And so at that time, there was a lot of talk in the media and in the news about um, the climate changing. Um, And we weren't really calling it global warming anymore, but referring it more to as climate change. And I was becoming increasingly conscious and aware of the impact that the built environment has on the changing climate. Uh, I got some free tickets to go and see Al Gore's uh, movie, An Inconvenient Truth. And I think that basically planted the seed uh, for the journey that I now find myself on, where uh, I basically work with anyone who's doing a a build or a renovation, uh, trying to design houses that what I call are more eco-effective. And I use the term eco-effective because I feel the term sustainability has been a little bit kind of overused and possibly a bit abused. Uh, So just as a way of differentiating what we do. And and I guess when you think about it, there really is no such thing as a sustainable building. You know, we're using resources and energy to build anything. And that's going to have some kind of cost or impact on the environment. Uh, But I think that as architects and building design professionals, we have a responsibility to use those resources wisely and to use energy efficiently and to minimize the impact and the harm that we potentially um, can have with our actions and the work that we do. And if at all possible, to try and have a positive impact on the on the environment. So that's got me onto the path that I'm on today. Fantastic. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think that um, I know that when I went through university, we did uh, we had a whole subject matter on energy efficiency and energy efficient design. I went to the University of New South Wales and we had Solark, which uh, at the time was the solar research unit, and it was the world leader in solar research. And, um, you know, I had a lot of incredible uh, tutors in that area. So my experience of, of architecture was that we were learning it really well, but it was such, it was, I mean, I was, going, I was at uni in the early 1990s. I think my last year at university was 97. So it was. It that was, was the year I started. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really, um, it was still so new in the industry. And it wasn't until I graduated from university and in my last couple of years of university, plus what I, the job that I walked out into full time, I was working on the Sydney Olympics with Tonkin Zalaika. And so that was known as the Green Games. And we were doing a significant amount of environmental sustainability interrogation of everything that we doing. We were doing everything had to go through a life cycle costing analysis that um, was being done by Marie Atkinson, who is now very well renowned for the work that she does in that field. And at that time she was working inside Arabs. And so it was, yeah, it was really interesting, but I still saw that it was 
it was so much around the edges of what we did in residential work. And, um, and so it's really, yeah, I love that you're here and that this has been your journey in terms of identifying that the work that you were doing didn't have meaning to you and what could you be doing instead. And as a sidebar, actually, that whole climate change versus global warming, I'm not sure if you've ever seen the movie Vice, which is about the vice presidency in, alongside George Bush. I think his name was Dick Cheney. Oh, right. And yes, it's yes. A, oh, I, I have seen Vice. Yes. Yeah, um, so, it's got Christian Bale playing Dick that, Cheney, I think. That's right, yeah. And I don't know about the accuracy of it, but there's actually a whole series because he was from an advertising background, so he used to use focus groups to test political kind of jargon and and terminology that they were using with the public to see what would resonate and what wouldn't. And one of the focus groups in the movies shows him the the focus group facilitator saying, look, how do we feel about the world with the words global warming? And everybody going, oh, they're a bit, bit scary. You know, they're a bit full on. I'm not quite sure about it. And then he says, oh, then the focus group facilitator says, well, how do you feel? It would be climate change be feel like a more gentle way of discussing this. And, and then you see them only starts calling it climate change, not global warming. And it's just really eye-opening. Uh, I don't know if it actually happen yep. that way but <laughs> it's an I wouldn't put one. it beyond it and then if I remember correctly they had a punch-up in the like post-credit scene of that focus group um, <laughs> it was obviously all kind of acting but yeah <laughs> it's definitely a good one to watch so now part of your work obviously you're a registered architect you're also an uh an energy assessor in terms of providing certified energy certificates or rating certificates that measure the star rating of a home based on its energy efficiency performance uh, all uh, new build projects in Australia have to achieve a six star energy rating at the moment. It's on the horizon that that's going to be increased to seven stars. Uh, fingers crossed in the 2020, 20, 2022 change to um, our national construction code. They've been floating it for some time. There keeps being pushback on it. It's well overdue in terms of a change. Um, can you talk through a little bit about that process of the energy assessment, the use of NATHERS um, or a National Housing Energy Rating Scheme and how, you know, just give a little bit of background about what NATHERS does, what it measures, um, you know, why, why homeowners need to worry about it as part of that renovation and building process? For sure. So as you talked about when you were studying at UNSW, uh, Australia is very much a leader in this area of understanding how buildings use energy, energy efficiency, and uh, understanding how the sun impacts on a building. So NATHERS, the tool that we currently use as part of the National Construction Code, came out of a bunch of research that started in the early 1960s and has basically continued to develop and evolve to this day. And uh, I guess it was it came out of the context of understanding that buildings are a big user of energy. And particularly in those early years, particularly the 1980s, most of the energy that we were using in buildings was for heating and cooling our homes. So to make sure that they were warm in winter and cool in summer. And I guess uh, some relatively foresighted people kind of saw that we need to make sure we understand how the energy is being used so that when we design our homes, we can, I guess, use that energy as efficiently as possible. So NATHERS is a tool that allows us to do that. And uh, basically, it gives you a star rating between zero and 10 stars that indicates how much energy is used for heating the home and how much energy is used for cooling the home. And I guess ultimately what it's trying to measure is not just the energy used, but how comfortable your home is. So if you're able to have a home that's not too hot and not too cold at the right times of the year without having to overly rely on the use of artificial heating and cooling, then you have a more thermally comfortable home that is also a more energy efficient home and therefore it reduces your energy usage, your carbon footprint, um, and hopefully makes for a more pleasant kind of living environment uh, as a result. And I guess the thing that kind of led me down the path of one, I was interested in, in architecture and the built environment, but also trying to design more energy efficient buildings I guess I couldn't really design an energy efficient building or one that was more thermally comfortable if, if I didn't understand how heat was coming in, how heat was going out, how the building was performing. So that then encouraged me after I became a practicing architect to go and do some further study and to complete my NADHERS uh, assessor accreditation. Um, so I really like to use it as a design tool because I guess the way I look at it is that you have to do it anyway in order to get your building to comply with the requirements of a building permit 
in pretty much all states and territories in Australia. Uh, so why not use that as an opportunity to optimize the design of the building, to factor that into the early stages of design so that we're not just designing a building that meets the bare minimum requirement, but actually getting a building that hopefully exceeds that requirement and can do it in a in an efficient way, not just in terms of the use of energy, but also in, in terms of the cost of the build. Yeah, I think it's... Um... I know that from doing it under the hood of Nathurst session together, um, I knew how powerful it would be to have an energy assessor on board your design team. And it's something I've been recommending to homeowners for some time, but getting that insight from you in terms of seeing the test cases that you share and the case studies that you share inside that, um, inside that workshop, just fundamentally demonstrated that the data driven feedback you could get about the choices that you were making um, and the options you were weighing up was really, really powerful. And so I think that the more that a homeowner understands the tools that they have at their disposal and and when is the best time to bring them in so that those tools can actually be used to their advantage rather than them just being this applied thing that happens later um, can be really, really important. And, you know, it's funny, since we did that session, I've seen people jumping into Facebook groups and saying, oh, you know, there was one post yesterday, for example, where somebody said, oh, my builder says that uh, if I upgrade to double glazing in the house, it'll cost me $8,000. Should I do it? And it's like, well, don't make that decision inside a vacuum based on the assumption that double glazing is supposed to be better than single glazing actually get your energy assessor to give you some data-driven feedback about whether that spend makes the significant impact on your star rating that you would hope it would, or whether you're better off investing that $8,000 in upgrading your insulation or, you know, just changing some windows and those types of things. So it kind of fits in with my design philosophy as an architect in that, I guess, uh, uh, I think it's a bit of a shame that sometimes people think that our profession architecture is focused almost entirely on aesthetics to the exclusion of all else that it's about designing kind of weird funky shaped buildings that have kind of weird and wonderful patterns and colors i think there's a lot more to architecture than that and uh for me a lot of my design process is driven by how i think the design decisions that we're going to make are going to impact the performance of the design and not just with energy efficiency but i guess with uh the quality of light um, whether it's going to be a difficult uh, design to maintain in the long run after the house has been completed. Um, so I guess that's what often informs my design process. Plus, I want to design beautiful buildings. And uh, yeah, I guess using your tools like Nathurs, um can potentially allow you to make very informed decisions and not fall into this trap of going, oh, well, if I want a more energy efficient or more sustainable building, it's just going to cost me more money. That doesn't necessarily have to be the case. I think it's just about making educated and informed design decisions to get the best and optimum outcome. Yeah, it's fantastic advice, Sid. I think that um, I think it's it's really it's really interesting to see how much bringing this stuff forward in the design process can inform your design process so much more effectively and understanding what how those tools tick and what changes the metrics in them and really empowering yourself with that information can then enable you to be much wiser about how you're investing your budget. Now, I want to dive into the subject of roof colour because this is obviously a topic where we um, there's a lot of discussion and I, I think that one of the key kind of things to understand obviously is that dark roof colors are definitely the dominant one that gets chosen i think that the stats are something like 70 percent of uh, roof tiles that are purchased um, particularly in the southern states are of dark colors um, right i didn't know that yeah it's quite and the same thing with color bond and um, uh, metal roofs and so well black yeah. is the new sexy so um... <laughs> Yeah, you know, Colorbon have released their new kind of matte range and yes. um, they've got a lot of kind of those dark kind of grey colours and yeah, the long-running joke about architects going, oh, can I have a, a warm grey? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think you look across the subdivisions in any kind of location and you'll see a dominance of dark roofscapes um, in the home. And I know that in our southern states, oftentimes dark roofs are actually proposed as the solution to getting a star rating to work. So... Um, which we're going to go into in a bit more detail in a minute. But can you just talk through how roof colour gets factored into the NatHERS uh, assessment and that it's 
you know, I think too what's interesting to know obviously is that the term dark isn't an arbitrary thing. It's actually a measured thing. So can you just sort of give some background about how roof colour is considered and what it can do to the NatHERS uh, assessment in terms of your experience of seeing that play out? For sure. And I, just a, a slight aside, you know, we got in touch with each other because you saw a blog post on my website about light versus dark coloured roofs. And I wrote that post almost six years ago. And it's interesting in that I think that is probably one of the most looked at articles that is on my website. So it's probably about time I did an update. But I'm glad <laughs> we're doing this podcast because I can talk a bit more about some of the things that are associated with that. So uh, dark in terms of dark coloured roof as opposed to light coloured roof, <clears throat> that's not a, um, it's not just a kind of personal perception thing. It's actually based on a measurement uh, known as solar absorptance. Um, and solar absorptance is basically related to the color of a surface. And it's a fraction between zero and one that indicates how much of that particular surface will absorb, uh, how much solar radiation that surface will absorb. So if you have um, zero solar absorptance, which is theoretically impossible, but let's say you did, that means that no solar radiation would be absorbed by that surface if it had a, a solar absorptance or SA of, of zero. Whereas at the other end of the spectrum, if it had an SA of one, that means 100% of the solar radiation that that surface is exposed to would be absorbed by that surface. So it's going to be a fraction somewhere between zero and one. So if you have um, a solar absorptance of 0 0.5 of the 100% solar radiation that hits that surface, 50% will be absorbed and 50% be reflected. And that's what we would call or term a medium color, um, which is something that is kind of half of the absorbs, half, half absorbed and then half reflected. Uh, and then as we move through the spectrum, if we go towards a darker color, they will have a higher solar absorptance, say 0 0.75 or maybe even 0 0.8 which would mean that 75 or 80% of the solar radiation that strikes that surface will be absorbed and then the remaining will be reflected. And the NATHERS tools take that into account um, by basically you can specify what the solar absorptance of the roof surface will be. And I guess I should also say at this point, the material of the roof also gets factored in. Um, and I guess if we look at the two kind of predominant roof forms that are used in Australia, they're generally metal deck roofs, like your colour bonds and the like, or uh, tiled roofs, and that could be concrete tile, clay tile, uh, slate tiled uh, roofs. So the material does have an impact, and that's a slightly different property that's called emissivity, which isn't quite related to what we're talking about today, but it does get factored in as well. So that's the material. But I guess fundamentally the colour of the roof is solar absorptance, we specify the solar absorptance in the NATHERS rating, and then that gets factored into the result as to whether we need uh, more heating, more cooling, and the number of stars. Gotcha. So, I think that that I think that that's really interesting. Is I mean, this NATHERS is as as you mentioned, NATHERS is really measuring. Uh, based on the selections that we're making for our future new home or renovation um, from all of the materials, the surfaces, the colours of that exterior skin, what that's going to mean in terms of uh, the heating requirements or the cooling requirements for the home to be thermally comfortable. And so that roof colour then uh, starts to feed into that conversation and that assessment because obviously it's like when you wear a black walk outside wearing a black t-shirt and you're you know walking around on a hot day you're going to feel the sun's heat and warmth far more than if you were wearing a lighter colored t-shirt that didn't have that high level of solar absorptance sure and or dark colored cars versus light colored cars parking it out in the sun i'm sure we've all kind of come back to a stinking hot car and you know black dark colored cars are very popular in australia too definitely and so when you start to see um, a dark colored roof or a light colored roof get put into somebody's um, selections how do you see how do you start to see that play into the energy efficiency of the home and what that what the measurements might be telling you in terms of that decision so let's say you decide to put a dark colored roof on your house um, and that would be typically a roof that had a solar absorptance of say 0.7 or higher um, you're going to get solar radiation striking the surface of your roof, and it is the largest exposed surface area of a building, typically. And then 
somewhere between 70 to 80 percent of that solar radiation is going to be absorbed by that roof surface and then some of it will be reflected that gets absorbed into a roof space if you've got a pitched roof with a flat ceiling or it's going to get absorbed directly into um, a space within your home let's say you've got a raked or a cathedral ceiling inside your house uh, now that is going to then contribute to an increased um, heat load in the building um, and depending on the time of year that can be a a, a beneficial thing or it can be a detrimental thing so in winter having extra heat coming into your home because of a dark color roof can actually be a good thing because that would mean that your home is going to be warmer and therefore you would need less artificial heating in order to heat up that space to get to a point where you could say that you were thermally comfortable of course the flip side of that is in summer where if you have a dark colored roof you're still going to get that um, increase in heat load in the building because of the the dark solar or the, the solar absorptance being quite high. And you'll find that in summer, because of the kind of azimuth and the altitude of the sun in the sky, you'll get more sun because it tends to be directly overhead and there's more surface area of the roof that gets exposed to that solar radiation. And so you're trying to keep your house cool generally in summer as a way of maintaining more thermally comfortable conditions. But here you are now with this dark colored roof absorbing more solar radiation, which then ultimately transfers into the spaces that you're trying to keep cool. So that would actually be detrimental to the performance of your house. So it's uh, a two-edged sword, I guess, is the way to look at it, is that um, we can benefit from having a dark-coloured surface on the roof of our house in winter, but that can then be detrimental in summer, causing our houses to overheat or require more energy to cool down in order to maintain thermally comfortable conditions. All right, so I can hear people thinking, well, I live in an area where my focus is that I want to keep my house warm. Um, so of course I'm going to choose a dark color roof because that's going to be my predominant goal. My priority is going to be about lowering my need for artificial heating. Um, and then I'm just going to deal with how I'm going to mitigate that during summer in terms of dealing with that heat load on my home. Um, and oftentimes also I see energy assessors helping homeowners achieve their six star, you know, if they've got a poorly oriented, um, home design, that's really struggling to get a decent star rating because it's not designed to climatically suit the location and make the most of the orientation and the movement of the sun anyway. And so it starts needing to be tricked up in the energy assessment process, um, having a bunch of upgrades and things added to it to improve the thermal performance uh, because it's designed in a way that's ignoring the climate climatic conditions. Um, a dark roof will often be suggested for Victorian and Tasmanian locations as a means of sort of tricking the software into giving that six star rating. And um, it's not tricking the six star, it's accurately measuring it. It's just the wrong way to go about it. What, but what do you sort of say to people who are, um, I'm surprised that, that roofing producers haven't figured out roofing, roofing colours that change thermally like our, those T-shirts used to. <laughs> Sorry. Hyper colour. Oh, yeah. No, I'm showing my age. But, um, but yeah, um, that, yeah, that we could actually have adapting roof colours that change based on the, the solar absorption measures in the sky. But um, well, There is actually research along those lines, and I think your alma mater, UNSW, have done some research in that area of roofs that can change their solar absorption depending on um, I think they run a current through it or something and then that changes some of the properties in the material which then then can change the solar absorptance but yeah it's still early days there's no commercially available product that can that you can buy on the market as yet yeah that would be amazing so um, uh, so what do you say to people who are in those colder climates who say well I'm just gonna put a dark roof because my focus is all about keeping my place warm I don't really need to worry and also I hear a lot of people go I hate that my neighbours chose a light coloured roof because all I now see if I'm looking over the top of their house is that reflection, um, you know, and some councils also there's, I mean, uh, there's certain councils in Sydney, I think Willara Council is one. Um, uh, that We have them here at WA as well, they yeah. ban light coloured roofs. Yes, yeah. So how do you navigate that with homeowners who think that a dark roof is just going to be a better choice um, because yeah. their priority is heating? Sure. Um, so there's quite a number of components to that question. So I might miss a few. We might have to come back. But um, I guess the first thing is uh, the key to trying to design a more energy efficient home is to design for the climate and to understand the climate that you live in. And that's about understanding when it's hot, when it's cold, when it is hot, how hot it gets, when it is cold, how cold it gets, how many days of the year, 
when what hours of the day it occurs, where the sun's coming from, um, all of that really needs to be thought about in the initial development of a concept design or a sketch design. And we talk about this in the Nat Herz Under the Hood series that we've recently recorded, where I guess because people don't get the energy rating done until just before they need to get the building permit, they've already made a whole bunch of design decisions about the wrong orientation and the wrong wall material and the wrong roof color that by the time they're trying to get this bit of paper that allows them to get on with the build, that they've already made a whole bunch of kind of not so good design choices that you can't make it into a good design or you can do is make it a less bad design by that point. And I think that's something that you really want to try and avoid from the get go if you possibly can. Um, so uh, in the National Construction Code, there are eight climate zones that are identified, but we talk about this in matters under the hood that when we do an energy rating, it actually gets broken down into a higher level of detail where there are actually 69 uniquely identified climate zones under the NATHERS scheme uh, compared to the eight general climate zones that the National Construction Code identifies. But it gives you an idea as to what kind of conditions you're designing in response to. And the climate zones that you're talking about, typically where people go, well, I can justify putting a dark roof in my building because it's cold most of the time, are usually climate zones six, seven, and eight. Uh, so places like um, Melbourne is in climate zone six, Tasmania is climate zone six, Albany in Western Australia uh, is climate zone six. And then as you move kind of more inland into like Canberra, that's climate zone seven, some parts of it are climate zone eight, um, and also kind of middle of Tasmania, that's also where you see climate zones seven and eight. And they are what we call heating load dominated climates, which means that most of the time, you'll be using your energy to try and keep your house warm in cold conditions, as opposed to using energy to keep your house cool in hot conditions. But there's a bit of a catch there because it comes down to the, uh, I guess, extent of heating and cooling that occurs at those different times of the year. Um, so maybe if I use Perth as an example, where climate zone five, so that's the same as Adelaide and Sydney, where it's a little bit cold and it's a little bit hot and we have to design for both of those conditions. If you look at the number of days in Perth when it's too hot as opposed to when it's too cold, there are actually more days of the year when it's too cold compared to the number of days when it's too hot. It's only a very small part of the year um, where we get really, really hot conditions. But when we get those hot conditions, they're quite extreme. So the number of days when we're too cold, it's just a little bit too cold for us to be comfortable, but there's more of those days. When we're too hot, it's a very short period of the year, but it's an intense period of extreme heat that we have to deal with. So in climate zone five, it's hard to justify putting a dark colored roof on because you could say, oh, but there's more days when it's too hot than when it's too cold. But for those days where you get the benefit of having a dark colored roof, you actually get a greater or more significant detriment for that short, intense, extreme period when it's too hot. And that's even true potentially in climate zone six. So Melbourne, for example, where uh, it is uh, a bit more too cold most of the time again, but the summers can still be quite intense. And that is also true in some parts of climate zone seven and climate zone eight. So while those climate zones are heating load dominated, you'll find that for those shorter periods of the year when it's an intense or extreme heat, uh, that um, will that can still potentially be worse off by having a dark colored roof than a light colored roof. So I guess that's the balancing act that you have to kind of play. And if you end up in a situation where you go, well, we can, we've got, we're at 5.9 stars and we can't get it to six stars unless we put a dark colored roof on the building, uh, chances are you've probably made some poor design decisions up at the beginning, such as the way you orient the building, where the living spaces are, the size of your windows, your glazing specification, maybe the insulation levels, maybe the materials that you're building your floor and walls and your roof out of, that because those decisions aren't so good, you then have to kind of chase point one of a star in a not so ideal way in order to get it over the line and to meet that, that minimum uh, six star requirement. Something that uh, in NCC 2022, when that does come in, uh, is, uh, oh, actually, it's already in, sorry. Um, NCC 2019, 
uh, in most states and territories of Australia, we actually now have what are called heating and cooling load limits. So um, what you now find is that you actually have to meet a certain threshold for the cooling limit as well as for the heating limit. It's not just an overall rating that you have to comply with. And what that's trying to rule out is those houses where you need to put a dark colored roof on to get that last point one of a star, um, which is probably wreaking havoc to the performance of your house in summer, but it just gets it over the line for winter. By applying an individual heating limit and cooling limit, we're now saying, well, you can't just fudge the design to make it work in winter to get to six stars. It also has to perform well in summer as well as in winter. Um, so that is uh, potentially going to be more of a game changer because, say, in NCC 2022, they're probably going to increase the stringency of those limits, which would then make it harder to creep things over the line in order to get them to comply. Uh, now, I think I've covered all the things that we were yeah, talking about in you your have. question, but yeah, if I missed was... anything. <laughs> no, that was really comprehensive, and I think that's given – um, I think that's given a really great understanding of, of, I love that, that, that you would be making choices for incremental change to basically make your terrible design less terrible rather than starting in the right place with a design that's climatically responsive, climatically appropriate, and, um, then enabling those selections to be the things that really lift the performance of the home, um, at the as part of that design process. So, um, and yeah, I think that that mention of the, the heating and the cooling, um, loads being set metrics. So it, uh, I think it's great that that was introduced in 2019. I agree with you on 2022. I think we'll definitely see that be more stringent because we're all we're doing now is experiencing far more extremes. Um, you know, all of the stuff that is informing our NATHERS assessment is all based on historical data. And yet we know that the current climate conditions we're experiencing are just more extreme experience of historical data. We're just seeing new highs being reached, new lows being, you know, longer periods of exposure to these um, intense periods. And so I think that, I think that in any case, um, you know, I find that most members of the Home Method, my online program, they're seeking to achieve a seven star minimum, sometimes eight stars on their home because they understand that there's a need to future proof against climate conditions that we haven't potentially seen yet. So um, and also that that feeds into a far more comfortable, far cheaper to run home. You're not having to worry about um, the cost, rising energy costs of heating and cooling your home. That approach of let's put a dark roof on the house and then we'll add some air conditioning that we'll just use during summer um, just seems so counterproductive to what is actually possible when you design the home well and you can be optimizing those natural assets to heat and cool your home for free and um, and make better design choices from the outset so that just and your adds air conditioning system works harder by putting the dark colored roof on so um, the roof color doesn't materially affect the price of your home it's you know the, the color is what the color is and it's not going to cost more for the black colored material as opposed to the light colored material but i've done some modeling that's showing that um it would make an air conditioning system work somewhere between 20 to 25 percent harder so using 20 to 25 percent more energy to cool that home in summer because of that decision you've made with a color um that isn't really optimizing the performance of the home oh that's great thank you for pointing that out the whole just add extra insulation. So I see a lot of homeowners say, well, I want the colour that I want. Um, you know, I want my house to look aesthetically a certain way. Monument basalt, they're sort of those traditional dark colours that get chosen. I often say to people, look, depending on the design of your home, the roofscape might actually not even be that visible. And you can always choose a medium or a lighter colour and then have a dark colour around your fascia and your gutter line and that be the present kind of aesthetic colour um, palette for your home that you then can pick out in other areas. Um, so you can satisfy the thermal, you know, selections that you need to plus get the aesthetic result that you're chasing. Um, but saying that that whole approach to just adding extra insulation, what we're often seeing now in these, uh, particularly these, uh, denser uh, suburban areas where there is a prolifer proliferation of dark roof colors is we're seeing um, the data showing that the there's an elevation to the ambient temperature. So it might be, you might obviously be dealing with the immediate heat into your home by upgrading your insulation, but what you're not dealing with is then what happens with the radiant heat 
that comes off that roof during those hot temperatures and how that then increases the ambient temperature of the areas that you're living in. And of course, a lot of these areas then don't have a good um, solid landscape established. They don't have straight trees established, all of those kinds of things that help lower ambient temperatures in areas. And we see really significant hot zones um, being created by the way that these suburban subdivisions are happening. So can you just talk through that whole rationale that you're seeing around that just add extra insulation, whether, you know, what false economy that is and, and help homeowners understand why that can be so counter to you just making better choices at the outset? Yeah, sure. So um, you've kind of hit the nail on the head. Adding more insulation because you have a darker coloured roof isn't a way of solving the problem of having the wrong colored roof in the first place, so to speak. So uh, in the National Construction Code, there is a little clause under the energy efficient efficiency provisions that says what the solar absorption of your roof is. And if it's a dark color, then you have to have this minimum insulation level. If you have a lighter color, you could have a reduced level of insulation. Um, and it leads people to believe that, oh, well, if I just put more insulation in, I can have a darker colored roof. If you actually look at the numbers, and I've done a bit of modeling for um, a couple of clients of mine, the level of insulation that it recommends for those dark colored roofs is not enough to offset the increase in heat gain that you'd get because of that dark colored roof. You would actually need to double, if not triple, the level of insulation well beyond what the building code says as a minimum level in order to try and offset the impact of that darker colored roof. And then that has all kinds of implications for your design. So. Uh, you might be dealing with a limited roof space or the thickness of a particular kind of ceiling joist or rafter, and you just don't have the space to install the level of insulation that would otherwise be required. The other thing, too, is that um, if as the, the bats get thicker, uh, you may not be able to meet a insulation level through the use of a single insulation bat. So you then have to kind of stack one insulation bat on top of another. And then the weight of that insulation bat on top of each other actually compresses the bat over time. It just kind of collapses under its own weight slowly year upon year. And then as the air gets squeezed out of the insulation bat, its R value effectively reduces until it becomes uh, virtually nothing. So uh, you might be able to address it at the time of construction, but give it long enough, all insulation will compress eventually under its own weight. But I guess if you're stacking layers of insulation on top of each other, you're just going to increase kind of the reduction in the performance of that insulation in a relatively shorter period. Um, and if you're going to put solar panels on your roof, a dark colored roof can actually reduce the efficiency of your solar panels somewhere between uh, 20 to 25 percent uh, because your roof is causing the solar panels to overheat. Solar panels work by taking the visible light and converting it to electricity, but the hotter they get, the less efficient the solar panels become. So a dark colored roof will have implications on that. And then as you talked about in your question, this whole urban heat island effect, where if we have dark, large areas of dark exposed surfaces in our neighborhoods and in our suburbs, we're actually causing those neighborhoods and suburbs to increase in temperature overall. Um, and then that has all kinds of impacts in terms of the comfort of a neighborhood, um, the impact that it has on the landscape. And yeah, basically makes for increased unpleasant conditions at the kind of urban level that then have implications on the individual kind of households and houses within that neighborhood. So uh, yeah, I guess there's this kind of cascading um, effect that having a dark colored roof on your house can have beyond just your own kind of individual heating and cooling costs and um, thermal comfort. But yeah, it can have greater ramifications across um, a larger scale. Oh my gosh, you just dropped so much gold in that last answer. There's two main points I wanna extract just to flesh out a little bit more. One was the insulation and talking through the strategy around increasing the insulation. I think that there too is a, insulation is seen as this fail safe of like I have a terribly performing home so I'm just going to bulk up my insulation add more insulation increase the r value go for crazy r values I see people saying I'm going to up you know chase an r6 and you know like really like and beyond and beyond to max out make this work and yet don't know how to manage or inspect the installation of that insulation, which is critical to the performance of the insulation. You know, I've mentioned to you before, Jenny Edwards has been on the podcast saying if you have a five mil gap in your insulation at the point of, in of it being installed, you can reduce its effectiveness by up to 50%. So that means something that's R you've specified as R6 all of a sudden <laughs> isn't R6 anymore. And if you're punching down lights throughout your entire ceiling, 
can you talk through some of that stuff in terms of the problems that you see around people thinking that insulation is going to be this solution that then it just doesn't perform in in construct in the finish time the way that they anticipated? Yeah, well, the recessed outlights one is a, a really big one. Um, and I did listen to that podcast where you interviewed Sarah Lebner and Jenny Edwards, and they're um, big fans of their work as well at Lighthouse Architecture. Um, yeah, basically, the more holes you have in your ceiling, the more potential gaps you have in that insulation barrier that, that kind of forms the envelope of your building. And um, yeah, when you get enough kind of little gaps and holes here and there that it can effectively halve the 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 r value of of that construction so yeah it doesn't take much before you start seeing significant reductions in the performance of your home because of other design decisions that you make um exhaust fans and that kind of thing they also are penetrations that go through the ceiling that can have an impact uh, now there are ways of mitigating that so uh for example with exhaust fans, you should pick something that um, has uh, that's a self-damping or a self-closing fan, which basically has flaps on the top of it so that it doesn't leave a big gaping hole in your ceiling and through your roof. Um, it will basically have flaps that close down when the fan is not operating, and then the pressure of the fan pushes them up to allow the moist air to escape from your bathroom or from your wet area. That's an important thing to do. And also with uh, recessed downlights and trying to minimize the gaps, um, LED lighting is pretty popular these days, which is a good thing. But then you also want to pick sealed downlights, so ones that don't have a big hole out the back of them that open up from your room that you're trying to keep cool or warm and then up into the ceiling. And then also ones that preferably you can lay the insulation directly over the top so that um, they don't have any gaps or holes in the insulation around those penetrations. Have to be careful though, you have to get um, specially rated um, downlights for that uh, for that effect. So they have to be fire rated. I think the rating is ICF or IC4, which basically means the insulation can abut or cover that particular penetration through the ceiling. So those things will have an impact. And I guess you, you mentioned an R6 bat, and I went through this exercise in my own home recently, where um, we upgraded the insulation in our 1938 California bungalow. Um, there was insulation up there, but it'd been there, I don't know, maybe 20 years and it had compressed over time. So it wasn't very effective. And R6 bats are really expensive. So um, because they're not uh, readily available in the market, at least not here in Western Australia, it was going to cost me something like 50% more to have an R6 bat as opposed to an R4 bat, where the price was a lot more kind of economical. And I did some modeling as I would for my own house, <laughs> being an energy efficient, uh, any energy efficiency minded architect. And I found that the extra R value of the R6 didn't make that much of a difference to the performance of my house for the you know extra couple of thousand dollars that I would have had to spend to get an R6 bat over an R4. So the thing with insulation is, is that it's a diminishing return. Yes, you can up the R value in order to increase or offset any potential heat gain from a surface such as a dark colored roof, but it's uh, you have to increase it by a substantial amount to get a very small kind of return for each kind of amount that you increase the R value by. Uh, and I guess that's something that people don't realize that, um, yeah, it's you can't just whack more insulation in and expect the performance to be comparable because you either need to put in a stupid amount of insulation, but then that comes with all the things that we talked about, about compressing the insulation, or it can can potentially be cost prohibitive. And then you're just kind of chasing uh, you know, good money with bad and, and still not getting an optimal outcome. You're just trying to make a less bad outcome. Yeah, that's uh, that was fantastic. The second thing I've been just trying to make sure that I remembered it um, but to, that I wanted to flesh out was your conversation about the solar panels. So that's another thing I often hear people say is, what does it matter if I'm going to have a dark roof? Because I'm planning on putting solar panels over this entire thing and they're going to be dark anyway. So I'm still going to have to worry about the solar absorption. I'm still going to have to worry about sucking in heat into my home. I may as well have the roof colour that I want. Won't that actually attract more sunlight onto my solar panels? This is the kind of conversation I hear. I see people have. Can you talk through, um, you know, if I have a light, if I have a light roof, isn't that going to reflect too much sunlight off my home and away from my solar panels? You know, that's sort of the some of the thinking that I see homeowners have. Can you talk through a little bit more about if you are planning on coating your entire home's roof in solar panels? Does that? I know that Nathurst doesn't look at solar panels themselves. So how does how does that all get thought about in terms of the performance of the solar panels, the colour roof selection, the energy efficiency of the home? Yeah, sure. So uh, 
when we talk about solar radiation, I guess we refer to it as one thing, the radiation from the sun, but it's actually made up of lots of different components. And if you go back to your high school physics, there are different wavelengths that make up the total spectrum of solar radiation. So there's UV, which we all know about causes skin cancer. There's infrared, that's the bit that makes us feel warm when we're in the sun. Um, but then there's microwaves and there's also radio waves. So there's a whole spectrum of frequencies that make up what we call solar radiation. Um, and I guess that conversation along the lines of, well, if I put solar panels on, they're a dark color and you know the light color is not going to work with it. Um, it it's different parts of the spectrum that are going to be affected. So solar panels are responsive to the visible light spectrum, the bit that allows us to see, um, I guess, the daylight component of the solar radiation. So uh, having a light colored roof doesn't impair the function of a solar panel because it's not um, it's not that part of the of the uh, electromagnetic spectrum that makes up solar radiation that will affect a solar panel. Uh, but as we talked about, the dark color and the solar absorptance that refers to the infrared part of the solar um, of, of the solar radiation spectrum, and that bit will cause our homes to, to potentially overheat if we don't design them carefully, um, and then causes more heat to form on the surface of your roof that will impair the performance of a solar panel because they respond to visible light and then they become less efficient as they start to actually increase in temperature. Um, so yeah, a dark colored roof will impair the function of a solar panel. A light colored roof, to my knowledge, doesn't have any impact on the performance. Uh, the other thing too is that you mentioned that people go, well, the, the solar panels are dark in color, so what's the difference between doing that and putting a dark colored roof on my house? Well, the difference is, is that the solar panels are sitting on brackets or frames that are standing off the roof. So there's actually a gap of air under the backside of the solar panel between that and the surface of the roof. So the solar panels will heat up to a certain degree when they're exposed to the sun, um, obviously more if the roof's a dark color, but the heat that the solar panel is absorbing doesn't then transfer into the roof because you've got that separation, an air gap between the back of the solar panel and the surface of the roof. It's when surfaces are sandwiched together and then you allow conduction to occur through those surfaces that if a dark colored surface here is touching another surface here, that's when the heat starts to kind of transfer through. Uh, so that's why solar panels, even though they're dark in color, to make them more responsive to the visible light spectrum, won't then cause your house to overheat because of that gap that exists. And going back to one of the other questions you asked me, Amelia, where people say, oh, I don't like looking at the glare off that off my neighbor's roof because they put a light color on. Well, one thing I found frequently with that is that um, glare is usually only a problem with bare metal roofs. So if you go with a zinc loom or a bare metal finish, uh, that's where uh, a phenomenon known as specularity comes into effect, where because it is a shiny surface as opposed to a light colored surface, that will give off more glare that tends to be more kind of um, uh, unpleasant on the eye. Light colored surfaces generally don't have a lot of glare. So that's people kind of mistaking the difference between a metal roof or metal finish roof as opposed to a light colored roof. Uh, and ironically, putting a metallic finish on your roof, it has a medium solar absorptance. It's not a light solar absorptance because the roof will actually dull over time and become more muted and actually increase its solar absorptancy over time as that color gets exposed to to the weather. Gotcha. Wow, we've crammed a lot into this conversation. No doubt about it, Sid. You always give so generously. And um, I want everybody to stay tuned because we've been talking about the Under the Hood Nat Her session that um, Sid and I have created together. And so I'll be sharing more information with you about how you can get access to that. Um, but Sid, uh, and I'm also going to have all of the links and resources to find Sid. He's got some really great information on his website. He's also got uh, information there about ways that you can work with him. Sid does work in locations other than Perth. So um, by all means, check that out and reach out to Sid if uh, you really like what you've heard here and, and want to see if there's a way that you can work together. 
Um, but yeah, I just want to say a huge thank you because in all of my time that I've spent with you as we've been working together to create the Under the Hood um, sessions plus doing this interview, it's uh, just been amazing to see your passion for the work that you do, for creating energy efficiency design, for making this accessible for people, for it to be something that is doable and possible for anyone at any level on any kind of project to have a home that performs well and is energy efficient. I really am uh, so chuffed to be uh, to be bringing you to the Undercover Architect community and can't thank you enough for your generosity and all of the wisdom that you've shared here. So I really appreciate it, Sid. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, Amelia. I really hope that you enjoyed that conversation and you also found it really helpful to understand more about the nitty gritty of roof colour and how it can impact your home. I'm also hoping that maybe if you were really attached to the idea of a dark roof colour for your future home, that perhaps this has helped you to know how to truly assess its impacts on your home's energy efficiency and thermal comfort and whether it's going to be the right selection for you. Now, if you want to learn more about how to truly understand what's driving your home's energy efficiency and its star rating, and also how to be able to make design decisions with that understanding... Let me share some exciting news with you about something Sid and I have collaborated on to go under the hood of NatHERS and to help you understand more about the energy assessment process. For ages now, I've been wanting to create some content that actually demystifies the process of achieving a star rating for your home. You know, your future home star rating, it's something that you need to establish before you can get a building permit on on most renovations and definitely on all new builds in Australia. And getting an energy assessment done, it's a necessary step in most projects and yet in what happens in most projects is that this process is totally underutilised for how helpful it can be in making better informed decisions and saving money in your build and your home's long-term use. At the moment, as we've spoken about, the minimum requirement is six stars. However, this is likely to change to seven stars soon. Now, NatHERS or our National Housing Energy Rating Scheme, you know, it's the framework within which we assess the star rating of our homes in Australia. It's something that many homeowners actually don't understand or are very aware of. And for most homeowners as well, their energy assessment is actually a step that happens right before getting the building approval or permit. It's often carried out by a consultant that they may never meet. Uh, That consultant might be organised by their designer, their building certifier or their builder. And because it's held at, you know, at arm's length from the homeowner, and it's also usually done after the design decisions are all fixed in place... A huge opportunity is missed to be able to use this process to inform the design, to inform your investment of your budget and also the result that you can create in your future home. Now, I know that when you know how to incorporate this assessment and and get to know the consultant that does it and get them involved in your project sooner, then you can actually be making data-driven, climate-specific decisions about what will or won't improve your home's performance. You know, don't... You don't know whether to upgrade your insulation. You don't know whether double glazing is going to be worth it. You don't know whether the wall materials, you know, what you should be using or what external colours you should be specifying. All of these things, plus a myriad of others, they are all things that you can test and you can iteratively, iteratively check their impact using the tools that are already being used in your project by people that you are already hiring in your project. And through understanding more about that process and how to work more closely with your energy assessor, you can actually see how much it adds or detracts from your home's future star rating. So then you're not batting at shadows or guessing at what to spend your money on. Now, understanding this process and what's involved and getting onto it sooner in your project, it can be hugely beneficial in improving the energy performance of your future home. And so that's why I've collaborated with Sid to create this series of workshops called Under the Hood of Natters. These workshops are in four parts. They are number one, introduction to Natters, number two, Natters for renovations, number three, Natters for new builds, and number four, how to get the best design outcomes with Natters. Now, do you want to hear some great news about these workshops? If you're a member of my flagship online program, The Home Method, then you'll be able to access these incredible workshops as a bonus of your membership. And for those of you who aren't members of The Home Method, you can actually purchase these workshops separately. So make sure you head to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash SID, S-I-D. You'll be able to grab the links there and learn more about what's inside these workshops and how they're going to help you understand NatHERS and be clearer on the energy assessment process and ultimately more confident in how you're going to achieve a sustainable, energy efficient home. 
I can't tell you, <laughs> I'm so excited about these under the hood of Nat Hers workshops that we've created. I've been wanting to do something like this for ages. It was really a case of finding the right person to work with. Sid is fantastic. And I know that this info is going to be hugely empowering for those of you wanting to improve the sustainability and energy performance of your home and find out what's really needed to create a seven or an eight star home and make ultimately be making data-driven decisions with confidence. So don't forget at that link, you'll also find the resource we've mentioned, resources that we've mentioned in this episode. There's a free downloadable transcript of this episode of my conversation with Sid about roof colours. You're going to find links to get in touch with Sid as well. And then there's also information on the under the hood of Nat Her's sessions. You're going to find all of that stuff at www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash Sid. And that's S- ID. Please share this podcast episode with family, friends, colleagues, even strangers, basically anyone that you know it may help so that we can get this information and knowledge into the ears and hands of as many homeowners as possible and improve their experience of designing, building and renovating their family homes. I love hearing the stories of those who found this podcast thanks to the generosity of another listener. It is just awesome. Now, if you haven't left a review on the Undercover Architect podcast, especially if you listen on iTunes, I would be so grateful if you please could. It really makes a difference in enabling this podcast to reach others that it can help. And it also ensures that I can continue to grow the podcast and get amazing guests and information on here as well. Be sure to tune in for our next episode, which lands each Tuesday morning to access helpful information and education in your project journey so that you can get it right as you design, build or renovate your family home. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye.